I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. From California to the United Kingdom, the issue of gig economics and the welfare of the gig worker have become a topic of everyday conversation as more and more people rely on platforms for employment and their financial security. For some, the gig economy is viewed as empowering people to grab hold of their own economic lives and to direct their work in ways that optimize their time, obligations, and aspirations. Critics, however, have bemoaned the poor pay and weak safety nets endemic to gig work, along with the makeshift financial infrastructure supporting individuals deriving their pay from digital platforms. But startups are taking notice and beginning to target this growing segment of the labor market by offering new tools and services for gig workers in an attempt to not only make their lives better, but to also transform the very meaning of gig work from the ground up. And those kinds of aspirations caught my eye, and I wanted to get a better sense of just what's happening and where technology solutions are headed. So with that, I am delighted to welcome Matt Spoke to the show to walk us through the issues. Now, Matt is the founder of Moves Financial, a new app designed to service gig workers by competing with some of the very platforms that employ them. And he's got big dreams, not only for the gig worker, but also for the very relationship between labor and capital. It's all good, baby, baby. Uh, it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something Matt, thanks so much for joining the show. Awesome to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. So maybe we should just, again, you know, start at a 10,000-foot level, and, and maybe you can tell me a little bit about Moves. What exactly does your platform do, and, and really where is this idea coming from? Well, maybe the, the, the origin story, if, if I can start there, is really an observation of, of, of sort of your introduction, what happened in the gig economy over the last couple of years that made it such a mainstream topic or such a, you know, an area of concern for legislators and, and, and labor unions and things like this. And I remember listening to a podcast uh, about, a, about two years ago by one of the co-founders of Lyft who talked about the early days of Lyft and sort of the, the, the assumption they had that what they were effectively doing was unlocking fractional labor on the edges of sort of traditional employment. So they, they assumed that people would be driving uh, in their spare time and that after work on the weekends, you know, between shifts, at, you know, at part-time jobs. Um, and the model had been built to sort of be this like hole fill where you could earn an extra bit of money when you had a spare hour in the day or when you had a day off. Uh, I think what happened over the last 10 years, uh, unexpectedly, is that we saw an enormous shift towards a huge reliance on these apps as a primary source of income for people in a way that these apps never really contemplated. I mean, these apps came in to the market in somewhat controversial ways to a large extent. You know, you remember the early days of Uber rolling into cities without permission and, and the, the, the taxi unions sort of being up in arms in a lot of cases. Um, but at the time, we were focused more on sort of the innovation as it related to the consumer and sort of the choice it provided to people that wanted to take rides more cheaply or more affordably or more predictably or, or you know, and then ordering food became a thing. And I remember some of the early iterations of Uber Eats were a little bit weird, you know, and people had to get used to it. Um, and I think, you know, the story really is that Uber and its peers, DoorDash and Instacart and Lyft, 
naturally have evolved their businesses to primarily focus on the demand side of their markets, which is the consumer, right? And so they've done, they've made lots of choices to effectively optimize to provide an incredible consumer experience to people that need a ride, that need food, that need groceries. Um, and almost by accidental consequence, they overlooked the fact that they had created an entire new stakeholder group called gig workers. Um, and when we started paying attention to this market in 2019, it was on the back of some new legislation being proposed in California called Assembly Bill 5 that a lot of people would remember uh, that was being voted in by the California legislature to effectively reclassify gig workers across the state as employees of these platforms. And it was a very heavily lobbied bill, led to a lot of debate, not only in California, but around the country. Um, and I think the bill had some problems. It, it has since been partially overturned with Proposition 22 that was voted on in, in 2020, which is now going through a Superior Court sort of like ruling. Um, but what was obvious, sort of putting our opinions aside about what's the right legislative answer, what was obvious is that there was a real growing hostility that exists between workers relying on these marketplaces and the companies building these marketplaces, and that they did not have aligned economic incentives. And that sort of success for one meant, uh, you know, giving a margin for the other effectively. And often that meant Uber getting the advantage at the disadvantage of the Uber driver or something like that. So it's a complicated problem. We, we don't prescribe to the idea that it's as simple as enforcing, you know, some employment standards or some minimum wages because the economics of the gig economy are different than traditional employment. And I, and I think we need to sort of rethink all of the mechanisms that, that surrounds sort of you know worker protections and benefits and safety nets because they none of those none of those rules were defined in an industry where this exists or in an era where this existed right so now we almost need to rethink everything top to bottom from government regulation to the types of financial services that need to be made available and how and and the responsibility that falls on companies like Uber and Lyft and their peers so that was the the, the impetus for us to get started you know our our our, uh, our original thesis was. If Uber is not going to look out for the worker, then a product needs to exist. That sole purpose in life is to provide value to workers in the gig economy. And you know, I'll say Uber a lot during this podcast, but I'll use them as just the, the punching bag for all of their peers as well. Yeah, you know what's 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 uh, really interesting besides you know that that initial conversation that you were describing, you know, thinking about almost like fractional shares when it said fractional shares of, of labor in one's time, which is which is pretty interesting. You usually think about that, you know, from from an investing context. But you know what's what's fascinating is that you're 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 inspired by what is um, let's call it the the uh, you know the employment e- economy. And the economics of the gig worker, uh, in, in terms of again, you know, whether or not the employer is responding to all the needs of the employee, and, and you think that you have something uh, uh, to provide, a service to provide, but you, but you're coming at it um, from a very distinct financial perspective, you know, uh, you know, why or and, and and what exactly you know does your platform do? And 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 how did you make the jump from you know an observation of let's call it the the political economics of labor in California to an app that is designed again to deliver uh, certain kinds of financial services and, and and tools to those workers? Yeah, it's a good question. So broadly, we define our our app as being an all in one financial app for gig workers. And so if you put yourself in the shoes of a typical gig worker in the U.S. today. 
a typical gig worker is earning on more than one app uh, that they are frequently changing between either within a day or on different days of the week. Uh, and so that commonly means they might be driving for Uber, they might be delivering for Amazon Flex, you know, doing some DoorDash deliveries. Uh, and they, they've learned how to optimize their schedules based on demands on different apps in different cities. You know, so depending on where they are in the country, this might vary. But a typical gig worker is definitely working on more than one app on a regular basis. The financial services that they have access to are typically tied to those apps or uh, they're working with sort of like more traditional banks that view them as very high risk or undesirable customers to a large extent. So what do I mean by that? Uber provides a debit card to drivers who don't have a bank account. So if you wanted to sign up for Uber for the first time, let's say you were a new immigrant to the country um, and you don't have a bank account yet, you haven't been able to open a bank account uh, and you go through the process of onboarding with Uber, Uber may be your first bank account. And it's not Uber providing the bank account. They have a partnership with a bank called GoBank, but it's an Uber branded debit card. They'll ship it to you. You'll use that to earn your pay. The problem is if you start driving for Lyft the next week, you're going to get a different card from Lyft and you're going to get a different card from DoorDash. And then effectively, you're going to end up having all these debit cards with fractions of your income in all of these different accounts. Uh, and it's just a pretty crappy, you know, we would call it a bad UX for the customer in this case is the gig worker. So the first problem we wanted to solve was to unify all of this into a single account product. We, we, we work with a bank called Blue Ridge Bank to provide uh, effectively an all-in-one uh, checking account for gig workers to be able to streamline all of their income from multiple sources into a single account managed from a single app where they can see the earnings they have across all of the profiles that they use. So when they open a profile with moves, they're linking their Uber account, they're linking their Lyft account, they're linking their Instacart account. We help them understand the summary of their earnings and the performance of their earnings over time across all the apps they link. And then we provide them this account to effectively have like an all-in-one cash flow management account, a bank account effectively with a Visa debit card that will issue to them so they can spend and you know pay for gas and buy their groceries, et cetera. Uh, and then we'll also contextually provide them access to uh, cash advances that are tailored to how they earn money uh, and, and intentionally as far away from sort of the payday loan market as possible from like a fees perspective. And so, you know, one of the things that's unfortunate about groups like the gig worker is that they're often sort of the, 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 the prey to predatory lenders and predatory financial services companies. And so if they do get access to credit products, it's often at huge costs and huge risk to themselves personally. And often it's as simple as, you know, I got a flat tire on my bike and I rely on my bike to do deliveries, but I can't afford the buying a new wheel as 50 bucks. And, uh, but I can't also complete another delivery because I don't have a bike. And so it's like, who's going to give me the 50 bucks to get over that little hurdle. And because we see their earnings holistically, uh, we know with high confidence that they're going to earn a similar amount of money next week. And so it's not very difficult for us to advance them the $50 this week to take back from them next week effectively. And just to, to, to sort of jump in there, and that's, that's fascinating as well. I mean, you're, you're able to get a kind of a window into the, basically the cash flow of, of these gig workers, I suppose in a way that, you know, any of their individual employers are not able to get because even if they establish a bank account, through their, uh, you know, through Uber or, or Lyft, as, as as you had mentioned, you know, with with the bank, that's a sort of a, a limited view, uh, unless all of their other accounts and all their other sort of work relationships also funnel their money to that same bank. Yeah, Uber only sees the part of their time spent on Uber. Lyft only sees the part of their time spent on Lyft. 
we see what they do across all these apps. And so that's the advantage that we have. And so to your point, it is exactly that. It's cash flow management. Cash flow management for a gig worker in our mind right, right now includes you need a bank account that easily allows you to collect all your earnings and manage all your spending, pay your bills, pay your rent, buy your groceries. Uh, and then you need to be able to have access to cash out of cycle uh, that is sort of reflective of your consistency of earnings. So if you're a really, really consistent gig worker who makes $1,000 a week, it should not be difficult for you to find $250 as, a, as an out-of-cycle cash advance to you know, pay for an oil change and a small car repair or something like that. But this demographic has an almost impossible time getting access to credit products, let alone basic banking products. So uh, that's the, the primary problems that we solve. Yeah, you know, I noticed that you also have a, a kind of a rewards uh, system on the app. Maybe could you just sort of walk through what what that product is is supposed to do for the gig worker? Yeah, so there's there, we're we're heading in a in a in a pretty broad direction. That uh, I'll say there's not a lot of great analogies in market that I can think of, but but broadly speaking, the I, I see the the problems are broken into two. I see like the low hanging fruit around just like the frictions and frustrations that that a gig worker deals with on a day to day basis around just like adequately being able to manage their cash and their earnings. And so that's where we sort of started our focus. Um, the second area that we decided to focus on was more, how do we over time help change the fundamental economics of the gig economy? And that sounds like a big lofty aspiration, but effectively the role that we're playing is we see ourselves being able to aggregate hundreds of thousands, if not millions of gig workers into a single platform effectively, uh, where we now effectively develop the ability to uh, leverage them as economies of scale, leverage them to sort of have a voice that can enact, demand change in the gig economy. Uh, and so, you, you know, you'll hear some stuff when we talk that sounds very like union-esque, you know, where we, we really believe that our role fundamentally is to look out for the best interests of gig workers through whatever mechanisms we can. So part of that is build products that solve problems for them. Part of that is be loud vocal advocates for the pro- the changes that they need to be able to have a more sustainable lifestyle as a gig worker. How we're doing that effectively is um, what, broadly speaking, we want to turn, um, sort of turn the equation on its head. And one way that we think about that is that gig workers are viewed almost as a secondary stakeholder group to the customer and let's say the shareholder of Uber. Uh, And so one big aspirational question we've had in our mind since the beginning of the business when we launched was uh, how could we go about turning workers into shareholders? Uh, and, and, and what would that unlock in terms of value uh, or in terms of new, you know, new ability to influence governance at, these, at, the, at the level of these companies? Uh, and so we're going about that in a pretty unique way. I mean, we haven't announced or, or released every detail of the, the, the actual feature itself, but broadly speaking, we see ourselves being in a unique, unique position to start making owners out of gig workers. And, and, and we think that that starts to fundamentally shift sort of how, how they're viewed, you know, how they're, how they're prioritized uh, in the gig economy. That's very interesting, you know, to, to basically think of not only a gig worker as a worker in effect, but also then to try to re- take that second step and to reimagine the worker as in effect um, and, 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 an owner. Yeah. And, and like the, 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 you know, the labor union um, analogy is imperfect because there's a lot of labor unions sort of actively engaging in this industry, trying to trying to like advocate for, for gig worker rights and benefits and things like that. But I think my, my, my issue had always been that the way that they view the economic sort of pie 
was that for gig workers to get more, the marketplace companies needed to get less, you know, sort of a zero sum game to a large extent. Um, and that felt very, I don't know, that, that felt short-sighted to us. It felt like it, it discounted the future opportunity of the gig economy growing into sort of a new norm for labor to get coordinated in the future. Uh, and so instead of thinking about it, hey, like we're just here to advocate for more on behalf of gig workers, which means less on behalf of Uber, there's a way to sort of take these stakeholders who right now are on opposite ends of the economic equation and put them on the same side and say, well, if Uber wins, maybe an Uber driver should win along with them. Uh, and so how do we do that mechanically? How do we actually make that true within the product? So uh, share ownership is a really interesting tool to accomplish that. So, you know, when, when you think about um, your, your your company and, 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 and really uh, sort of the, the the growth prospects of, of what is um, you know frankly a, a kind of a mission driven fintech you know how 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 much is your success tied to you know, frankly the 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 direction of the economy I mean with a company like yours it's really interesting you know like does does your growth depend on on growth of the economy and, and GDP or 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 is it the opposite I mean like like what do you see as as sort of the the, the drivers Excuse the pun, but but you know, for your company and 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 how this particular kind of strategy could ultimately work. Yeah. So so twofold. One, we're trying to we're we're ensuring that we are not tied to the success or failure of any one of these marketplaces. And so you know, that's a very intentional choice on our part. We did not position ourselves to go and partner directly with Uber or Lyft or DoorDash or any one of these companies to sort of deliver this value proposition because we don't want our success to be tied to the success of, of any one of those businesses. So uh, there will be existing companies that succeed over the long term. There will be new companies that pop up and emerge as, you know, GoPuff is a, is a relatively new entrant in the market, at least at a large scale, that's doing sort of deliveries as well. And so the ability to adjust depending on who's showing up in the market with new services, the, the gig economy is, is sort of growing by definition year over year. So now, we, now we're seeing apps that are coordinating movers and moving trucks and dog walkers and uh, landscapers and all this stuff. So the number of skills that are shifting into this sort of like marketplace coordination that the gig economy sort of represents is growing. Our, you know, we firmly believe that that trend is going to continue, that it is a more efficient way to coordinate labor, connect supply and demand on certain skills. Um, we're very specifically focused on one end of sort of the skill spectrum. I'd say when you think of like the broad freelance market, there's very specialized freelancers like, you know, graphic designers and photographers. And, uh, and then there's, you know, more commoditized skills like driving a car and delivering food. And so we're much more focused on that end of the spectrum. So we support today 16 apps. That number will go up as more apps come into the market. Uh, the general characteristic is if, you know, the overlap where a worker could easily see themselves working on multiple ones of these apps. The moment we see that there's no overlap, we know that we're really talking about two different user bases, you know, like a freelancer on Upwork is very typically not the same as a gig worker on Uber. Uh, and so we're talking about two different customers. Um, the, the one thing to sort of how, how this uh, flows with sort of the economic conditions, I mean, COVID was a great test of that. Um, I'll say the, the characteristic that really stood out to me is that when lots of people were losing jobs and lots of industries were shuttering and, uh, and you know, we saw massive layoffs in, in, in a way that, you know, we haven't seen in a long time, 
Uh, gig workers are are resilient. You know, uh, just because an app shuts down uh, doesn't mean that they're unemployed for three, four, six months. You know, they're back on their feet the next week on another app. And so there's an ability to sort of get back on your feet really quickly and adjust where the labor market is going. So if you were a rideshare driver in March of 2020, by April of 2020, you were a food delivery person. And that adjustment was almost overnight, you know, because 90 to 95% of the demand for Uber rides and Lyft rides disappeared. And then all of a sudden, Instacart demand blew up. So Uber drivers became Instacart shoppers. And so that that fluidity of, of labor is very new. And that's, I think, what is the primary innovation of the gig economy is to be able to have sort of this liquidity of labor in a way that we've never seen before. But what that means for financial services providers is you need to be able to follow the worker across that career change because you know, a change in employer historically was always seen as almost a, a sign of, of, of instability or, or inconsistency. So if you were a, a consumer lender, the moment somebody loses their job, you start getting worried about their ability to repay. For us, people change jobs daily because their jobs are app-based, right? They go from Instacart to Uber. To, and so that's a positive characteristic. We see them as probably the most resilient part of the labor force. Uh, you know, obviously they're on the lower end of the income thresholds, but there's there's lots of opportunity to, to help uh, these people sort of move up the ladder. Matt, super interesting stuff. Um, really will look forward to having you back soon, uh, just, just as obviously the economy uh, grows and, and, and turns uh, and, and, and to see where your company goes. I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks so much for the time today. Dreams are not made to be broken, and if you've got a plan, expertise, and some patience, you might just be able to make those dreams a reality. And make no mistake, Moose Financial has big dreams, aiming to transform gig work into something not just more comfortable, but also, well, just more. Now, how the venture ultimately plays out may be anyone's guess, but I do think they're on to something when looking to address the new market challenges and opportunities that solutions themselves may create. All too often, we have a sense that when any new app like Ubers or Lyfts address a problem like less discriminatory ride hailing, that the story is over. But what Moves highlights is that even solutions can beget problems and that today's entrepreneur will be involved as much in fixing problems in the new economy as in the old. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.